me, I've always found that if you if you care about your publisher's business, if you, if you understand and try to put yourself in, in their shoes and you do what you believe is the right thing for them, that's how you build trust, that's how you build partnerships. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everyone out there listening to our lovely little podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day today, whatever day that might be that you're listening to us. In case you forgot what you clicked on, and I wouldn't be surprised if you did, this is the Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kudashevich. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. I'm Andy Forwork, as always, your co-host here on the Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast. Uh, how are you doing today, Jeff? Thank you, Andy. Uh, I'm doing all right, man. It's It's been a, a good week. We kind of joked the other day when we started the, the start of the day saying, and on this episode of Quarantine Weekly, another week of quarantine. And that sort of uh, brought everybody's mood down a little bit. Um, but, but the reality is things are going well. Knock on wood, we're, we're very fortunate uh, to be where we are. Um, and I try not to forget that even when I'm having a hard day. And just trying to you know stay positive and 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 kind of take things day by day. How about yourself, man? How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember you sending that message and thinking, "Wow, this is uh, going to be another week." But uh, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. it, as the weeks no usually doubt. go. You know, they they start off like Mondays normally start off, even pre-pandemic. So uh, Monday, yeah. yeah, Monday Monday is the first three days of the month. The CPMs are brutal. You're looking for alcohol, even if it's 9am <laughs> and you're trying to figure out when am I going to get to Friday? And then Friday, Friday, that last week of the month, CPMs are just crushing it. You're so thrilled. Money's just coming in hand over fist. You don't have to do it with yourself. And then we, and then we start all over we do again. It again. Okay. All right. All right, Andy, here's a quick rundown of today's episode. As usual, we have our Reddit ad op threads of the week where we're going to go over each thread together and sort of give our feedback. Then we have our special guest, Ashley Wheeler from Rubicon Project, who's going to speak to us all things supply and client services. All right, Andy, now the moment of truth our time to break down the top Reddit AdOps threads of the week. In case you don't know, which I would imagine most don't, I actually started the AdOps subreddit in 2012, and it's now somehow become one of the leading AdOps communities in the industry. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, it's a great community. Happy to be a part of it. Uh, I'm excited for this segment to just run down all the different threads that we see over the weeks and, you know, give our opinions on it. Awesome, man. The first thread we want to talk about uh, is titled Protecting Against Resource-Heavy Ads in Chrome. Uh, This has sort of been a more hot-button item the last few days, Um, so love to get your take on it. Uh, You know, when we were sort of looking at the data that Chrome provided here, um, you know, I think the biggest highlight for me as far as like a business perspective is we're really only talking about 0.3%. Uh, of ads that were found to be uh, sort of this heavy resource um, drain on on the browser, uh, but would love to get your sort of technical um, viewpoint on it. Yeah, so this is uh, an interesting uh, move here. If you if you don't 
sum it up to 0.3% of ads, right? I think initially this kind of might, you know, scare people a little bit and thinking that, oh no, like now some ads are going to be blocked because we just have, you know, more resources in there. Um, I think this is the point of this is these are kind of the egregious ads. Um, I think a lot of times you're going to see this with video or, you know, very heavy, maybe like type of like slideshow type units, something that might be very image heavy. Um, right. It's probably something that the average user is either annoyed with anyways, or is maybe shutting their browser down. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we've all been in cases where, you know, if you look in, if you're in Chrome and you kind of see that, uh, in the top left of your tab, like where it's still spinning, uh, that usually indicates that, yeah, there's something that got hung up or something that's still processing and, and basically using your, you know, local computer, um, to process that. Uh, right. So everything that you view in your browser is, you know, your, your computer is the resource for it. So if you think about mobile, um, and we have a lot of these heavy ads that might get through on mobile, uh, right. that could, that could really like, you know, your phone might get hot or your, your battery is just going to die something like that, uh, quicker. And, and I guess what's, what's your, what's your perspective like from the, uh, you know, this is my website. This is how I make my living. You know, how dare you Chrome, uh, do these things like where I guess where do you kind of see publishers coming down do you think ultimately the publisher base is just like yeah this is great I'm I'm, I'm happy Chrome is is sort of policing some of these you know uh, DSPs or um, or or advertisers for me or do you sort of think that people will feel like this is just yet another thing that Chrome is, is doing that's sort of pushing the envelope of just being a utility for people um, and, and sort of policing what goes on on my site. Yeah. I think, I think different people are going to have different perspectives. Um, I kind of see both, both sides of it, but I kind of feel like I, I fall on the side of, I don't want, maybe if Chrome wants to give me an option to do this and I haven't looked through to see if there's a way to not do this, but I think that it does um, present a particular issue, uh, especially when you're trying to work with many ad networks and not just Google alone. Um, this really can benefit Google alone because uh, you know, if you're a buyer and you go in and upload your creative uh you know, the, they can reject the creative for already not meeting these, um, sure. you know, these, these thresholds. So we're talking about, uh, Chrome or Google AdX and, and buying through there. You probably already have some of this measurement happening and they might be rejecting it or, you know, I don't know, cause I'm not on that side, but it is interesting. And I think the bigger problem is now going to be with all the other networks and, you know, do they have checks in and some of them might. And I think you can also think about your ad quality partner uh, that you work with. Um, so most of the partners, such as Confiant or Ad Lightning, uh, have ways of you being Show able to monitor note, this. we work with both Ad Lightning and Confiant. <laughs> Ding! We do. Uh, and they both have you know options for us to monitor, or we can block uh, anything right. that meets this. So I think one of the strategies that we're looking at doing is uh, you know, if we see something based on this criteria, uh, then we can block it with our ad quality partner 
um, hopefully before Chrome is blocking it. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure the technicality there, but if we can do that, then we can submit another auction and, and hopefully fill that with an ad that, you know, will meet the requirements. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate your, your perspective on that, Andy. Next thread is uh, entitled, where did the money go on average for every one British pound spent? An advertiser in the study uh, says that the publisher makes about half of that. So the way I look at this is this user's talking about supply path optimization, another uh, SPO, another uh, acronym of the day. Um, so the <laughs> study that they're, uh, that they're talking about here was from Digiday, um, essentially showing that, hey, for, uh, for a dollar spent, there's going to be money going to the SSP, money going to the DSP, sort of many, many mouths to feed. Um, and, and I do think that it's something that as CPMs get more competitive uh, as the year goes on, maybe people will not spend as much time thinking about, you know, in the latter half of the year. But at a time where CPMs are definitely softer than we'd expect, this is probably something that a lot of people are are thinking about front and center. What's your what's your sort of take on uh, this? Many mouths to feed. Where did the money go? Yeah, so I think this has been going on. I mean, this has been going on for a long time, and right now is a, a time where you know we're going to identify it a little bit more because we're we're kind of trying to dig to the bottom. You know, during this whole pandemic of. Uh, you know, a lot of the advertiser spend is down, but uh, I think this is, you know, it, when you when you put it on, like this one user commented here, and they basically gave you a you know a, a scenario, right? So agency gets fifteen percent, DSP takes fifteen to thirty percent, and then the SSP takes fifteen to thirty percent, and then the pub gets rest, right? And on average, about half is what they're saying. Um, does it? I mean it it seems inefficient. Um, but I think this is the world we live in and it, it has been going on, uh, quite a bit. And, you know, one yeah, of the I was reasons, gonna, sorry, Andy, I, I, what I was wanted to ask you was you, you mentioned this is the world that we live in and this is sort of what we, we take as just the way things are. Do you see a world where it isn't this way, where it's not, Okay, you get fifteen percent. You get fifteen percent. You get fifteen percent, and I'll take what's left over. Uh, it's a good question, and I think the only, like, the closest thing you can get to that is maybe if you're doing direct sales, um, and if you're doing direct sales and also building the creative in house, and um, you know, serving the ad and getting it all to the sites, so. If it definitely could be a possibility, but you've got to be large enough for you know the advertiser first to buy with you, and advertisers are generally going through an agency, um, right. so maybe that piece is a little bit out there to be taken out of it. But um, and then like also like the DSPs, like the reason the D DSP exists is, is because we're in this programmatic buying world. We wanted things to be automated. Um, yep. the DSP doesn't have to exist necessarily if you're doing a direct sale, um, sure. 
but they do, you know, agencies and then will also use, you know, ad serving companies as well indirect because they're using that to monitor and, you know, check for discrepancies, make sure that we're delivering what we're delivering. So they have a way to check it. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think there's always going to be a cut. There's always going to be a margin for, for somebody um, when you're doing business. It's a little off the top, huh, Andy? A little bit off the top, you know, for the uh, 1% next. out there. <laughs> sure. All right. Next up, AdX CTR is higher than AdSense CTR, but AdX effective CPM or eCPM earnings uh, are lower than AdSense effective eCPM. Learn or earnings. We, you know, we kind of read through this. A user posted a lot of good information and good questions here. To sort of sum up the thread here, we're looking at AdX versus AdSense. The user compared random page views instead of uh, session-based comparisons. So first off, we'd always recommend if you're going to do any kind of split testing to do that on the session you want to make sure you actually have the user for the whole journey uh, on your site. And similarly, making sure that both versions or multiple versions of the testing uh, are seeing that user through the full journey. The other things that we were sort of talking about, Andy, was on the AdSense hard-coded versus AdX in the ad server. The user here is looking at CTR and, and, and sort of saying, hey, CTR is better with AdX, but eCPM is lower with AdX. Well, the, so the one thing that I I thought I'd make a point on here is that, you know, if you're running AdSense hard-coded, um, it, it's such a quicker round trip. Um, I don't know what the magic is that they have on their side, but, you know, you get an ad back in, in you know, probably milliseconds. Um Obviously, there's no header bidding. This isn't a header bidding setup we're talking about here. He's, you know, or users saying tags versus AdSense tags versus GAM with AdX line items. And assuming he doesn't have anything else running in here. Um, Andy, does it feel like every week we are having an argument about AdX versus AdSense? Somewhat. Uh, it's very topical. Uh recently here at the company well just i uh, wouldn't even say recently I, I i think i mean for the last i don't know, eight years i feel like it's sort of always kind of comes up talking oh, about sure. what should i do should i run both should i run one or the other should i run them at random should i run one hard-coded versus the other linked yeah, can absolutely. we get some help on this google <laughs> can we Please. you know can, can we get some guidance on, and, and maybe maybe we just need to be more vocal about it, but there, there's got to be some some reasoning, right, at times where, and I think this user is probably getting to a conclusion that we've gotten to many different ways at different times, right? They're looking at CTR versus eCPM, we will look at, you know, a share of voice and fill or coverage and just try to make heads or tails of the data and sort of just scratching our heads going, well, this is what it should be doing, but it's not doing that. It's, it's sort of behaving in a different way. And then you get into, well, are there floors in addicts? 
are there custom blocks or their advertisers being blocked or their URLs being blocked that aren't being passed over to both systems? Are there more advertisers in AdX and, the, and therefore um, should be more competition and, and that sort of thing? And it, I think we, we end up just scratching our heads and going, well, let's do what's best right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you hear about changing setups all the time and, oh, we're going to test this and we're going to test that. Um, you know, it would, I don't see a world where you'd have to run AdSense or AdX. I would, I would hope that you could get the same performance from both. Uh, clearly that's not the case all the time. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it is interesting and would, would love to hear from, you know, Google, how that, how that really works. Right, last up for us is just new ad units. Um, the user here added a bunch of ad units to their page. Uh, there is now certain pages where, that go from six to 13 ad units, depending on the length of the article. They're sort of asking about seeing ridiculously low CPMs on the old ad units, even if he's trying to, uh, they're trying to move them up on the page for higher viewability. Um, but generally saying that these they're seeing a decrease in CPMs. I think this all just goes back to traditional economics, supply and demand, knowing that, hey, if you're adding significantly more impressions uh, to the open markets than you were previously, uh, there's always going to be some decrease in CPMs no matter what, right? So at some point you had a finite number of impressions. Now that finite number has increased significantly, there's going to be a little bit of a hit to, to assume where you're not just going to add uh, incremental revenue and not have an impact on the rest of the page. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a couple of things that uh, it is interesting that they've had you know, new ad units, ridiculously low CPM, while the old ad units that moved up and have higher viewability also experience a decrease in CPM. I mean, there's the way that we are right now, that could just be part of pandemic uh, numbers. But you're right. I think anytime you add more, first of all, you know, those those networks or, you know, any any of your ad server needs to learn, you know, the patterns of traffic that's going to be coming to your site and how those ad units affect it differently. Um, you know, maybe think of it like if you put a new product on the shelves at the store that no one knows about, and then it catches on, Oh, this product's over there. You know, everybody goes and buy it now is maybe like a good analogy for this of like, you got to give them some time and, and kind of see. And then the fact that you're moving things around on the page uh, there's, there's cash that still exists. So, you know, some users are still going to get possibly the old setup. Maybe they don't see the new ad tags. Um, very much based on user is, cash is, is what I'm specifically talking about. Sure. The other thing too, that I, I think needs to be addressed that I don't know if this user thought about when they're talking about this was how long are those units on the site? How, how early are you looking at this drop and sort of having this uh, mini meltdown? Was it just a day or two and, and sort of yeah, needing sure. new inventory to be 
kind of understood by the market. The other part that I wanted to, to end on is just using RPM as the metric rather than CPM. Anytime you add more inventory, whether it's refreshed impressions or new ad units to the page, there's always going to be this drop in individual ad unit CPM. So how is the page RPM doing overall versus what it was doing before? Yeah, that's that's true. Because um, you're when you add more ad units, right, that will take your CPM down maybe, but your RPM will will still be up there, right? Right. And ultimately, if you're looking to make more money by adding these ad units to the page, obviously there's some some art and some science there. But mm-hmm. I think the part that you really need to focus on is, am I accomplishing that goal? Am I actually making more money now than I was before? And if you're not, then certainly take a step back and, and sort of evaluate what's going on. Um, but I wouldn't be ringing any alarms if day one or two, I'm seeing a drop and even a week or two into it, you know, there again, again, there's going to be time for the market to sort of evaluate the the new inventory and understand how that's doing relative to the rest of the site. Yeah. Yeah. And also the other takeaway for me is, you know, they said they added between six and 13, depending on the length of the article, that might just be too many, maybe even six is too many. Um, if you start lower, uh, you may see better results. Uh, maybe maybe the, the thing is here is to go back to a little bit less and, and see if that helps. But, you know, first of all, verify if you're making more money overall and, and see sure. how that RPM is. For sure. All right, Andy. Well, I think we are all done on our Reddit thread investigations for the day. Well, that was a lot and a lot and a lot of thinking. So I'm glad to be done with that. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't do enough of that at work. So we have to <laughs> sort of get, get you to, to think a little bit on the podcast. Well, I'd like to introduce our very special guest, Ashley Wheeler from Rubicon Project. Ashley is the VP of Publisher Accounts in North America at Rubicon Project. Ashley started her pro, uh, programmatic career at Rubicon six years ago, and in that time has seen the industry evolve and change dramatically. She and her team now work hand-in-hand with publishers to consult on monetization and yield strategies to power the premium content on the internet. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm thrilled to, to be chatting with you guys today. Awesome. Uh, well, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. So, Ashley, for me, kind of the first thing I'd like to know is, can you kind of talk through how you got into the ad tech space in the first place? Yeah, how do how do any of us get here? So it's actually it's a funny longish story. I, I started my career in sales at CBS Interactive. Um, I was like an English major. I kind of just fell into that role, and I was there. I for, think that's pretty typical, right? English sales. Yeah. English you know, history, you can speak. yeah. I can write. I, it's so funny. People make fun of me because I still haven't mastered the art of bullet points and emails. They're like, you don't need a thesis. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I started at CBS, met a lot of amazing people there. Sales, like sales is sales. It wasn't necessarily the thing that I loved doing. Um, and CBS is also a, a massive corporation, which is amazing. But at like 23, when my then boss went to a 25 person startup, I was like, sure, I'm, I'm coming right along. <laughs> um, so I followed him there and, and that was just such a, a eye opening experience. A to work for a company 
that small. And then to, to also shift, I had shifted at that point from more of a sales focus to a client services account focus. Uh, and I loved that. Um, so when that little startup had run its course after about three years, and I was in the market for a and, job. And sorry, Ashley, was that startup also sort of ad tech uh, related or? It, it was it was sort of ish, I guess you could say, but not not really, <laughs> not not what okay. we do today. Like I, when I started programmatic, I had no clue like what I was getting myself into. S- sounds sounds about right, huh, Andy? I, yeah. I think that, that's probably <laughs> true for all of us. But so I had reached out actually to the guy who started the programmatic business at CBS who I had been friends with. And I saw that he was the head of client services at Rubicon. I didn't actually necessarily know what Rubicon was. All I cared was I wanted to stay in client services. And so I remember like tricking him, not tricking, but like, Hey, let's get a drink. And then he got there and I was like, so I need a job. And at the time it was for uh, a director role at Rubicon. And he's like, Ashley, I love you, but this role is like a programmatic consultant and you know, absolutely nothing about the programmatic industry. And I was like, Jeremy, I can learn. Give me a chance. (laughs) And he was like, okay, fine. So why don't you go do some research and then you write me an email that that shows me that you're going to be able to figure this out. So bring back- Talk about pressure. Talk about pressure. (laughs) So bring back the English major into all of this. I start researching it and realize like, there's no way I'm going to be able to fit all of this into an email. So I literally wrote a seven page term paper with footnotes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. With like reference Se- to the IAB, all this stuff. Um, and I was like, wow. Seven pa- you literally wrote a novel? I did. A short, a, a short story? Yeah, a, a term paper, but I still have it. <laughs> Actually, I've, I've shared it with some of my coworkers since, and they're like, oh, you know, it's not, not so bad considering you didn't know what you were talking about. What year was this, by the way? Uh, this was 2011. Okay. Nice. So very different, right? Very yeah, sure. Less technical, so it was you know yeah, yeah. a bit yeah. of a layup, but um, but yeah, that that's how I got my job at Rubicon, and I've been here ever since. And you know, I still feel like I don't know <laughs> all that much about <laughs> the industry. So, and Andy, I think we need to start requiring new hires to write us uh, term papers to term get pa- hired. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Ashley, that's, that's funny. Um, you know, 2011 kind of brings me back to, I mean, that's when I kind of started in, in all of this myself, 2011, fast forward. And now when you're talking with your family, you know, like obviously your, your mom and dad probably know quite a bit now about what you do, but you how do you, what do you, them. what do you tell them? Oh, okay. So yeah. I mean, like, what do you tell them <laughs> that you do? Um, I, you know, I hate leaning into this, but I do it because it's just so much easier than the alternative. My go-to is like, Hey mom, you know, those ads that follow you around the internet? Like, and of course they all do. And that's like, well, actually, you know, people are bidding on you. That happens in real time. And that's as far as I ever get, because then their minds are basically blown in the conversation. <laughs> They're lost. Are, yeah. yeah. Do they think it's some sort of like blood sport where like people are like waving around cash and going, all right, <laughs> who's got, who's got three to three bucks for that impression. Yeah. That or like privacy. Like what do you, what else do you know about me? I was like, I know nothing about you, mom. Just chill. But just kidding. We know everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or when she's really annoying me, that's when, do you really want to know what your cookies say? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So, um, Ashley, how do you balance technology with human resources to make your team more efficient? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Um, and I, I think one that's 
really relevant for ad tech, right? Because we do walk this fine line of technology and people. And I, I like to think of it as like, what are the things that the computers can't do, right? Like a computer isn't going to be able to really understand a publisher's needs and business and, and make recommendations that are, t- are tailored to that, right? A computer is not going to be able to go and advocate for you internally with buyers, you know? Not um, yet, at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe at some point. Exactly. We're three years away from that, at least. Um, <laughs> but... But what is really important is making sure that the the people who do that have the time to focus on that, right? Have the time to understand your business, have the time to go fight for you. Um, And so what we found is, you know, there's, there are lots of things that you can automate, right? There are, you know, dashboards and reporting and, and business insights that you can draw from that, that help make the job of those people easier. And I've been really lucky because, you know, Rubicon has such a, a fantastic, product suite, not just, you know, for our publishers to use, but that, that translates to my team being able to use it and be a lot more sure. effective. Mm-hmm. So we, we are lucky that we do have sort of the workflows um, in place so that we can focus, you know, on, on what matters, on bringing that human touch to, to what we're doing. Yeah. And, and I guess sort of talking through that human touch, you know, as, as being a, a leader at a, you know, a large organization, I'd love to kind of hear sort of your take, your philosophy around um, client services and, and, and how, you, how that sort of translates to, the, to the, your team as well. Yeah. For me, client services has always been like, if you're going to be good at it, it's because you're doing the right thing, right? Like there have been times where for a certain publisher, maybe Rubicon wasn't the right choice. And, you know, you at, at those crossroads, you can, you can say, well, you know, here's the product that I'm going to try to shove down your throat anyway. Or, or you can step back and actually understand that they're coming to you and asking your opinion as a professional within the industry. And you can give them the answer that in your heart you feel is true. And for me, I've always found that if you, if you care about your publisher's business, if you, if you understand and try to put yourself in, in their shoes and you do what you believe is the right thing for them, that's how you build trust. That's how you build partnerships. Um, yeah. and, and for me, I just try to to kind of ensure that my team feels the same way, that understands that. And, and that's really, I think, how you grow to be an extension of your, your partner's business, right? Like I want my publisher to be able to look at me and my team as just an extension of their team. We're here to help. Um, but you need, you need yeah. that trust to do that. Yeah, I, lo- absolutely. I, I absolutely love that. That, you know, I think kind of what I heard that resonated really well with me was, you know, being an extension of, of sort of their their team and being honest, right? Just, you know, being being comfortable either saying, here's a tool at Rubicon that could work for you or, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I would love to make this work, but it might not be, we might not be the partner for you. Yeah, and, and it's, I mean, that, those are hard conversations like with yourself, right? But I do believe that if you are honest and upfront with people, particularly in this industry, right, where there's there's always issues around trust. But if you can be that trustworthy person, like that'll that'll pay off tenfold in spades because inevitably you will come back and you will have a solution that's right for them. Um, and, and you have that relationship, right? And they'll at least be willing to test and measure because, you know, they know you're not trying to to pull a fast one on them. Yeah, kind of switching gears here a little bit, Ashley, I'd like to sort of know, you know, I'm, I'm sure 
anybody who would be listening to this uh, knows, you know, Rubicon and Talaria went through the merger. It's as of, as of us recording, it's, you know, kind of officially finalized. Can you kind of talk through what, in what ways your sort of day to day has shifted at all? Yeah, it's, it's, um, I would say that we're in the fun part now. Uh, we're kind of through the, the integration. So, I mean, the social distancing aspect has been interesting to, to merge companies and to be meeting all of these people and like trying to understand their business and tell them about yours over like Google Hangouts is, is, uh, that's been an ad- ad- adaptation for all of us, I think. But it's it's really wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to a the the folks who came over from the Talaria site. Every single one of them I've I've met, super smart, super awesome, very culturally similar to how we all are at Rubicon. Um, and then you you get to like peek under the hood at basically a whole nother business that does what you do in a different way. And so it's so interesting to learn, like, what are your learnings? What are your best practices? Oh, we have an overlap on this publisher. What, how are you working with them? How are we? And, and right now it's just total sponge mode. Do you have any kind of aha, like a moment you could share where you're like, oh, wow, why were we not doing it that way? Or, oh, you guys do that since, you know, anything like that that you can share? They in general are just bring such a level of expertise to video, which like Rubicon, Rubicon does so much that, and you know, we specialize in a lot of things like pre-bid. I think we've really done a, a great job of, of um, separating ourselves out from the competition, but it's hard to do everything well at that expert level. Right. And so for some things you kind of become a Jack of all trades, master of none. And up until now, video was a hundred percent, uh, in my opinion, one of those things. And so it's just so fascinating to me to hear about how they talk about video, their level of understanding about that ecosystem and all of the, the different systems that go into it to make it work. Um, and so at least now, and it's still early, I mean, we've only really started getting together and, and talking through this stuff over the last few weeks. Um, but for me, that's been the most eye-opening, just like, oh, I'm so excited to be working with you guys on this because you just know it so well. So kind of along the lines of, of that, um, and, and I always like to think that in, in ad tech, we have, you know, like these six month cycles, um, if you will, but uh, what, what kind of predictions do you have and how things are going to look in this industry in three to five years from now? <laughs> I think 2020 <laughs> has forever frightened me off of making predictions for the future. Uh, because you literally you, you, never know. You make like daily predictions now. Okay, what's tomorrow going to look like? I think it's going to rain, yeah, maybe. Exactly. But that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there, there, are some, there are some things. There are some themes that... If they don't fully come to fruition, I think they will continue, right? Like SPO and consolidation and, and demand path optimization too, right? Like we are just a, uh, there. there's so many different moving pieces in our industry and it's overly complex. And I, I think we're already seeing it. We're already feeling it to a degree, but the industry is going to consolidate. And I think that's going to be a good thing. Um, I think that's going to be a good thing for the industry as a whole, because it's a little bit unwieldy right now. Um, so I certainly think that it'll be a consolidated ecosystem. Um, I, I think 
pre-bid is just going to continue to evolve and grow and win. I think, you know, going, going back to do the right thing, um, I really love this idea of, of ad tech coming together as a community and not just tech partners, not just publishers, not just buyers, but like all of us together having a stake in something um, to, to be an, a viable alternative to the walled gardens, to have that independent option. Um, and I, I, we've seen, you know, prebid and prebid.org exceed even my expectations for what, what they could be in the last year. And I think that's going to continue as well. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think we as an industry will come together and come up with solutions for some of the things that we're up against, right? Identity and the, the decline of cookies. I'm sure in three to five years, there's going to be a whole slew of problems that we can't even fathom right now. Um, but I do think having that kind of collaborative mentality, which is new to our industry, but it's, it's growing, having that level of collaboration with one another is, is what's going to help us get through it and, and thrive. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I think to your point, you know, the more we come together, the stronger the industry is. Um, one of the ways that I've, I've typically seen a lot of, you know, great ideas chain, you know, uh, go between different people was, you know, some of our industry events, webinars, that sort of thing. So kind of would, would love to know, you know, you've, you've been to many yourself. Do you sort of have a, a favorite industry moment that stuck out, whether hilarious or a learning moment? Uh, um, you know, it's so funny. I, if I look back at like all the different industry events and conferences, like I've got amazing memories from almost all of them. I, some of my favorite though have been the ones that are, have been internal, right? Like I, where I've gotten to be with my team and you really get to like, know the people that you work with on a, a deeply personal level. Like when you spend three or four days with them and like the guard comes down a little bit. Um, for me, it's, it's especially with the people that you work with like day in and day out, like being able to build those bonds are, are really amazing. Um, other than that, I mean, the first time I went to, to Cannes was pretty awesome. <laughs> <I'd> like, <laughs> I like. <I, I, laughs> you're like, wait, me? I I, I get to go. Yeah, you like yeah, walk okay, off okay. the plane and it's like sunshine and boats, and I was like, oh my god, I fell asleep, and this is the best dream. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So, Ashley, uh, if you weren't working in ad tech today, what do you think you'd be doing? <laughs> um, I I always had these grand visions that if I wasn't working like the traditional nine to five job that I'd be like writing the next great American novel or something. I always loved the idea of, I don't know, it just seemed so romantic, like Hemingway, I could be drunk by 11 AM and like <laughs> espousing these like next American, I don't know, amazing thing. Well, Hey, you guys are working on that distillery. Yeah. So maybe that, maybe those two worlds will meet anyway. Well, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, it's funny, I've tried to write things and I actually don't have the attention span for it. So more likely I would just be starting a distillery with my husband, which I'm doing anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you know, Ashley, obviously we, we appreciate you coming on, uh, the, the podcast and we, you know, you have a ton of great experience and I'm sure people would love to sort of, you know, maybe get a learn from you a little bit as well. Like, do you have some certain things as far as what you tr attribute to how, you know, how you got to this point in the industry other than 
writing the seven page novel? <laughs> you know, for me, the best advice I ever got, and I try to remind myself of it often, is like push yourself out of your comfort zone. Like there's so many things that like you know you should do and you kind of get that like pit in your stomach like ah, ah. Push yourself beyond that, whether it's, you know, asking for something that you're not necessarily comfortable asking for or speaking up when you don't necessarily want to do it. Yeah. Every time I find, I mean, joining an industry that's as complex as this with literally zero background in it and being out (laughs) of your comfort zone for a solid year and a half, push yourself out of your comfort zone and it's remarkable what you can achieve. Um, And because I've, had the the fortune to do that and see good results from it. It's easy. Every time you do it, it gets a little bit easier. Um, but that's that. And the other thing I'll say is, is just wherever you can for anything that's important, go as above and beyond as you can, right? Like don't just stop when you think it's satisfactory, push it a little bit more, like pause. Is there anything else that I should be thinking about here? Or is there another angle that I should be looking at? And even just like, taking a minute and being present and really giving thought to what you're doing. Like it's remarkable how much you add and change and how much better the end result can become. Um, so those have been two things that have really, I think helped me personally. Yeah. That, I, I, I love that. I think, you know, um, you know, going above and beyond sort of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, I, I think we, we probably have, all done those things in in some ways. And I think it's great for, you know, somebody who's not sure what their next step is or not sure how to get to that next level in their, you know, particular career. Um, Hearing, you know, hearing those things from, from somebody as, you know, accomplished as you, I think is, is definitely encouraging and, and, and hopefully motivating as well. Um, Well, really appreciate your time, Ashley, you know, it was fantastic chatting with you. I know, Andy and I had a, a phenomenal time um, kind of getting to, to know you a little bit more and and, and kind of hearing your world of you as well. Yeah, likewise. Thank you guys so much again for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. And a very big thanks again to our special guest, Ashley Wheeler. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for our little podcast that could. Cheers to that. A reminder for everybody that the links for the Reddit threads we discussed will be in the show notes if you want to check them out afterwards. Thank you again for everyone who made it this far for the Freestar Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast. If you do have a spare moment, please check us out on Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review and subscribe to make sure that you get all of this high-quality content directly into your ears. For feedback or suggestions for guests, you can reach us at podcast at freestar.com. Special thanks to Matt Hanline for our music and to Caroline Romano and Paolo Bautista for helping with editing and production and making sure that people know this podcast exists. Until next time, don't forget to add your macros. Later, alligator. Alligator.